Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. Today, an entire show dedicated to looking at the MTA, the Riders Alliance on the Future of the Subways, Who's Got the Longest Commute, and Subway Art Tours. Hi, thanks for joining us. Ashley Ford is in transit. I'm Ross Tuttle, and I'll be at the switch. Welcome to our special MTA-themed show, where it's not all bad news. Just like the MTA itself, well, it's just mostly bad news. But what other U.S. city has an all-night subway? Okay, I know, there are discussions that might change. And what use is it anyway when you're trying to get back into Brooklyn on the 4 at 2 a.m.? It stops in Bowling Green, you're dozing a little bit, you wake up, you find yourself heading back uptown on the A-line in a trash train. Okay, no one I know of ever mysteriously ended up on the trash train, but I've seen plenty as I've waited for the F to Bergen. It's like an added insult. Not miserable enough? Going to have a stinking garbage car approach the station to make you think your train's coming and then creep slowly past. And all you can do is inhale the fumes. Here's some other tales from recent irate riders who populate the hashtag FuckTheMTA. I think it must be cathartic. Each post ends with those very words. Feel free to sing along at home. Anyway, here's what the riders are writing. There's a ton of things I hate about the MTA. Trust me. But the one thing I hate the most is when you've been waiting 15 plus minutes for a train and then we're held for train traffic ahead of us? Are you fuck serious? How? What train magically appeared on the tracks ahead of us? This one, I swear, if the E-train got problems tomorrow morning, we fighting. No talking, just straight hands. And then, hi, remember me? Um, have you considered making announcements to let your customers know why they're waiting on the platform for half an hour? And then, breathe, breathe, breathe. Okay, so I said it wasn't all bad news. Here's a lighter note, and it begins again with a tweet that says, sometimes the subway is actually magical. The tweeter is talking about a couple of buskers who've recently been playing in stations around the city. Take a listen. If you're tuning in to the podcast, no, that's not a recording of Paul and John, and they haven't magically reunited. It's twin brothers from Bed-Stuy, Amiri and Raheem Taylor, who taught themselves how to play guitar by listening to the Fab Four. Their band is called Black Rabbit, that's black with no K, and they've got a show at Union Pool on March 17th. Though I'm not sure they'll be playing Beatles covers, their main fare is psychedelic rock. The video, by the way, was courtesy of at Matt Whitlock, PM. Right now it's got about 2.5 million views. On the show today, we have conversations with the advocacy group Riders Alliance on their efforts to improve the MTA and the Center for an Urban Future on their study of outer borough ridership and which employment sector gets the prize for longest transit times. But first, these things. MTA office workers are hitting the streets, or, or should I say platforms. It's a new practice put in place by the Transit Authority during emergencies or major service disruptions. The workers put on orange vests and are allegedly on hand to help frustrated strap hangers to get to their destination before becoming beleaguered and think about posting to fuck the MTA. Union reps say this is just a way to save money at a time when employees are being pulled from their booths, but either way, it's reminiscent of times when the NYPD reassigns desk officers during spikes in crime. The difference here is the paper pushers, analysts, accountants are all volunteering. The MTA will look at phasing in a new payment system next year, and advocates are calling for technology that could revolutionize our riding experience. Some of the proposals in a report from Transit Center include having an app that can tell you when a platform is overcrowded, when a better alternative is nearby, and also tapping smart, smart devices to pay for rides. 
and then getting free rides once you've reached your monthly maximum. The report also calls on the authority to make better use of data on crowding. Though it won't address the structural challenges the system currently faces, it will help provide information which can help commuters better cope with frustrations and keep them from posting to fuck the MTA. Joe Loda, MTA's chairman, is finished. So says a planned service changes sign outside of 14th Street subway station on Tuesday. I quit, says the letter in bold. Find someone else to kick around. While it would be an appropriate way for an MTA boss to announce his resignation, putting essential information on a flimsy flyer in danger of blowing away, pinned up in only one location, it's not true. It's part of a satirical series called Love Letters from the MTA. Another was posted near an entry to the one train. It said, nope, just turn around. And the A, which said, please, let me die. Can't you see it's over? My tracks can't carry you any further. I'm an old broken soldier. I just want to sleep. Coming up, is there light at the end of the tunnel? A chat with the Riders Alliance about the future of our subway. Last week, Ashley had a chat with Rebecca Balin, campaign manager for Riders Alliance, a nonprofit advocacy group working to improve the city's transit system. Among other things, Rebecca spoke to Ashley about their week-long subway civics program, which began earlier this week, just so there's no confusion. But you can still find volunteers at outer borough subway stations near you. Here's that conversation. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you coming. Um, New York subway its having a lot of problems. And I think that as somebody who commutes every day, I, I know that. Yeah. And the people who are watching and listening probably know that as well. They probably don't know about Rider Alliance, which I'm very, very excited about. But here are some of the issues that I'm having, right? Late trains. Mm. Um, trains that sometimes all of a sudden announce they're broken and make everybody get off. Uh, the fact that every single time I come back across the bridge from Manhattan on my train, we stop on the bridge for what seems like several minutes before moving on. Yeah. And they always say there's traffic ahead, but I know there's not traffic ahead because I was just waiting at the station for 30 minutes and no other trains came. So there are all these things happening. But what should we be most concerned about with New York subways right now? So everything you described is exactly the problem, and it's caused by two things. Mm -hmm. It's caused by the delays that we're having, the overcrowding, the malfunctioning trains are caused mm -hmm. by trains that are decades old and signal system technology that's from the 1930s. What? Which, yeah, 1930s. So, okay. like, almost 100 years old, right? Yeah, like you said, yeah. 1930s, and I was like, yeah. come again? And that means that the trains actually can't communicate with each other properly, and that means that we can't run more trains. It means that they, mm -hmm. the signal systems malfunction. They're, like, there's always a mess, right? Yeah, and that's why it's breaking down. We have overcrowding because we can't accommodate all that stuff. And it comes down to the fact that we're not funding our public transit system. Right. We're not paying for it to get upgraded in the way that it needs. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're fighting for, both to hold Governor Cuomo, who actually runs the MTA. Mm -hmm. People want to blame the MTA. 
they need to be focusing on Governor Cuomo right. and our state elected leaders in Albany, but especially Governor Cuomo, who runs mm -hmm. the MTA and actually controls the budget process. Okay, yeah. Cuomo, get it together. And yeah. Okay. Sure. So I know I'll that Cuomo <laughs> did. I mean, but Cuomo <laughs> did say that he has this congestion plan, right? That he wants to try. That he thinks is going to be the answer to our MTA woes. What do you think about the congestion plan? So Governor Cuomo uh, put together a panel that proposed mm -hmm. congestion pricing. This proposal would raise the money that would we would need to fix our transit system because what we need is about over. 1.5 billion dollars every year. That's a lot of scratch. It's a lot of money um, and it needs to be new money and it needs to be what we call progressive and sustainable so that mm -hmm. it you know recurs and that it doesn't hurt poor and middle income people. Right. And that's what this proposal would do and it would also reduce congestion in the streets so that our buses can move faster. How's it going to do that? Uh, if, if we disincentivize cars mm. uh, centering in one major area right. because there's some free zones Right. right now, cars in Manhattan run about four miles an hour. Sorry, buses in Manhattan run about four miles an hour. Uh, and, and who's taking buses? It's elderly folks and it's right. poor folks. Like, let's be real, right? I mean, I take the bus right. too, but those are the folks that rely on it the most. But four miles an hour? In Manhattan, yeah. And so it would help buses move faster, but right. it would also pay for the upgrades we need right. on our subways and on our buses. Which would the, be nice. And so while he proposed that, and that's great, and put together a panel that proposed that, mm -hmm. it's not in the budget. The budget season ends the end of March. It's urgent. We need Governor Cuomo and we need his constituents to call on him and say, put it in your budget. Put funding for public transportation in your budget. Well, you guys had a rally in Albany yeah, not too long ago, last week. right? Tell me about that. Tell me about yeah. the rally. What was it about? Yeah, we brought, uh, like, 30 or so of our grassroots members, so regular mm -hmm. transit riders like you and me, right. um, to call on their legislators in Albany and to call on Governor Cuomo mm -hmm. to fix and fund the subway to that we're not going to give up and we don't want them to leave Albany until mm -hmm. they provide mm. the MTA with progressive, sustainable, and sufficient funding mm -hmm. in this year's budget. And so we met with legislators, but we also rallied in Albany to say just that. Um, it was a lot of energy. Riders took a day off, like, took a day off work. Right. They paid for childcare. Like, right. they made a real sacrifice to spend, to take a bus mm -hmm. and to go to Albany because that's how much it matters to people and we right. need Governor Cuomo to hear us and we mm -hmm. need him to know that if it's not in this year's budget, we're not going to forget that. Does it matter that de Blasio is against congestion pricing? Mm-hmm. I'm actually not sure he is so against congestion pricing anymore, but mm. it, it seems, I thought he, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought he adjusted his his opinion a little bit. I think he liked he he was he was amenable to the fix NYC plan, with right. what I understand. Right. Um, you know, it matters sort of. It's important that Mayor De Blasio understand that this actually is a progressive plan. Mm -hmm. We also supported his his suggestion for the millionaire's tax. Yes. But the thing mm -hmm. is, Mayor De Blasio doesn't run the MTA, That's and he true. doesn't control Albany's budget. Right. That's true. So only Governor Cuomo does both of those things. Mm -hmm. um, what Mayor de Blasio can do is he can, you know, push for bus lanes. He can help make buses move faster in New York City. Mm -hmm. He can fund and implement half-priced metro cards for low-income folks. That's called right. fair fares. What he can't do is provide the MTA with the billions of dollars it needs. Mm -hmm. um, and Governor Cuomo is proposing the congestion pricing plan, right. and he needs to make that happen. If he wanted to do millionaire's tax, that'd be great, too. Right. But right now, the proposal on the table 
that would provide the MTA with the billions of dollars it needs right. every year is this congestion pricing plan. So we need de Blasio to quit being a little wishy-washy and... We need him to stand with transit get riders. Get on board. And frankly, stand with to, the transit riders. And frankly, to do the things that he actually can do locally. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, sure, advocate in Albany. Like, that's very mm -hmm. important. But there's a lot he can actually be doing right now for transit riders, for um, bus riders and right. for low-income New Yorkers. Right. Absolutely. Well, get on it, de Blasio. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, talk to me about the hashtag worst commute campaign, oh, funny. which was both yeah. funny and a little sad. <laughs> um, a yeah. little sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what was the response like, oh, my gosh. you know? Huge. Yeah. People are... <sighs> People want to share their worst commutes, especially mm -hmm. right now. It feels like every day something goes wrong, oh, and it's yes. like a, it's a kind of a mini tragedy for a rider oh, every yeah. single day. You're, you know, it's embarrassing. You're late to school. You're late to mm -hmm. work, but you're also losing hours. Yep. On Friday, I was supposed to have a day off mm -hmm. last week, and I was commuting from an appointment in Midtown, and I was like, okay, great, I'm going to get home and I'm going to work out, mm -hmm. but I lost two hours of my day because of oh, a delay. Yeah. And it should not have taken me two hours, and and that's even minor, right? We have oh, folks yeah. who um, are losing salaries and because yep. or hours, right? Not salaries. They're losing jobs yeah. and they're losing um, pay wages. because they're wages. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. Um, and so it's actually a it's real costing problem. people money. So we, you know, I have hundreds of worst commutes in my inbox, and actually, you know, we realized in our membership, our grassroots membership, we're like, great, people clearly feel the problem. What they don't know is how to fix it. Right. And so on Sunday, actually, we're going to kick off Subway Civics Week mm -hmm. with a Sunday school right here at Atlantic. Barclays right outside. Good um, to know. And yeah, a lot of trains over there. A lot of trains over there. A lot of people hang out over here for the shopping on the weekend. Yep. And we're and then you know we're kicking off Subway Civics Week so people can really understand why they are stuck in stuck on the subway, right. how they can help, understand the budget process. So it's sort of like a week of schooling. Understand that it's short and they okay. need to act now. I need that because I never right. know why I'm stuck on the train, to be perfectly yeah. honest. It has been rare. There's like, you know, like there's been a couple times where I was like, what? What is happening? Why are we not moving? And then the fight that was happening and like two trains away from me spills out onto the platform. And I'm like, okay, that's why we weren't moving. There's a full-on fight that broke out on the train. Yeah. But there are other times, and most of the time, when I'm sitting there and I don't understand why I'm still sitting there. And whatever that person is saying on the intercom makes no sense. And that's the thing. Like, we can't, we have to understand that it's Governor Cuomo who's doing right. it, but we also have to understand what he's not doing. Mm. And so a big part of Sunday will be to call attention to the fact that it's Cuomo's MTA, and mm -hmm. we'll have little lesson plans and homework so people will get why it's happening and what they can do to fix Good. it. And our um, Riders Alliance grassroots members who we'll call teachers for the week will be Fantastic. out at rush hour talking to folks all week. Um, and we're kicking it off on Sunday at noon mm -hmm. or 1230 right at uh, Atlantic Barclays. So you guys should join us. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Last question, sure. real quick, because sure. we're going to run out of time. Which subway line is the most trouble? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I can't remember what the recent, like, actual data is, but I know yes. the C has been awful for oh, many yeah. years. Mm -hmm. I know the J is not great. Mm -hmm. um, the 7 train gives people a lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, pick it's your day, right? It's, yeah. it's always an issue, and day. it feels right now, and it's true that they're just falling apart. We yeah. need to upgrade that signal technology. We can't do that without billions of dollars in new money. Well, let's get our billions. Yeah. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Remember, it's okay. Cuomo's MTA. Cuomo's MTA. <laughs> this is your job, yeah. Cuomo. Get on it. <laughs> thank, thank you. you.
Recently, we spoke with another guest talking transit. Eli Dvorkin of the Center for an Urban Future spoke with Jarrett Murphy about a new study revealing which profession has the longest public transit commute in the city and why it should actually be a matter of concern to everyone. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't bankers. Here's the conversation. So, Eli, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We are coming to the end of uh, what feels like a a terrible year for transit in New York City, a a true sense of crisis, the summer of hell, many different hashtags applied to it. When you look at that issue broadly, what is driving the transit problem in the city? Right. Well, it's definitely two different things that have uh, overlapped and sort of metastasized. You know, on the one hand, we've got a subway system that's been crumbling for decades, and it's, you know, systematically been underfunded. You know, maintenance issues abound. Um, This is a deep problem with routes going back, you know, decades. Uh, And it's probably priority number one for most New Yorkers. But at the same time, uh, we have another transit crisis, one that's a little bit harder to see, which is that through the boroughs outside of Manhattan, people have struggled and continue to struggle worse, you know, every day to get to work, to get to where they need to go. And that's not just because of overcrowding or because the trains are breaking down or the signals are 50 years old. It's also because we have really poor transit service in the boroughs outside Manhattan, uh, and that's a problem that's not going away. So your report is about how this problem touches specifically on health care. Um, how does it? What is what is the disproportionate effect it seems right. of the transit woes on the healthcare industry? Right. Well, the first thing to say is that healthcare is not unique, totally unique in that way. Uh, but healthcare employs more New Yorkers than any, any other sector. You know, there are over half a million New Yorkers that wake up every day and, and go to work in a healthcare job. Uh, so, in part, it's because it actually just affects more people in this way. Um, healthcare workers have the worst private sector uh, commutes. Uh, uh, of any employees working in the private sector, they have the worst mass transit commutes, uh, about 52 minutes for the median worker. So, you know, roughly half of them, it's going to an hour, an hour and a half, or two hours or more. Um, so they have, the wor- they have the worst, but they're not the only workers in New York City to have, it, have tough commutes. We saw the issue with health care, though, is particularly um, acute in some ways because, and, and here we are in Brooklyn to talk about this, because health care employs more workers than, than ever before, um, you know, in, in Brooklyn more than any other borough. And these workers are not following patterns that were sort of typical of how the transit system was built. So, you know, when the system was, was created, the idea was, you know, radial network to get people from the boroughs uh, into the city, into jobs in the heart of Manhattan. And with health care, that's really not the case anymore. That's true in other sectors as well, educational services or construction, you know. But in healthcare, nowhere is that more true. You know, roughly two-thirds of all the jobs in healthcare are actually outside of Manhattan. And it's still about 41% of all jobs today. So in healthcare in particular, you're seeing how there's sort of a perfect storm of factors. You know, people moving further and further away from transit where it's affordable. And at the same time, as a sector where, you know, thousands and thousands of jobs have been created outside of the center of the city. And to some degree, that reflects a larger trend, right? Brooklyn sort of developing as an independent economic center, something people have talked about happening for years. It is happening, right? Right, absolutely. And I mean, the number of jobs outside of Manhattan has increased about 20% over the last couple of decades. Uh, so, you know, that's the trend that's continuing. You know, we're seeing more and more uh, work shifting outside of the center of the city and at the same time people moving even further away to find places that they can afford. In addition to the city's geographical patterns changing, folks have also talked about, you know, moving from a nine or ten hour rush hour day to a 24 hour commuting day. And it seems to me that might particularly apply to healthcare, where folks might be working in the late shift at hospitals. Is this primarily about 
geography in terms of why healthcare is challenging, or is the sort of hours of the day that the system is being used part of the issue? Right. It's, it's definitely a bit of both. I mean, the geography is where it starts, and the the, the times of day really makes it an even even you know deeper problem for healthcare in particular. Um, in part because there is no set healthcare schedule. I mean, you've got workers that have twelve hour shifts. You've got workers that are doing seven to sevens. You have workers that are overnight. Um, you know, the, there is no normal really, and for healthcare in particular, there's also no wiggle room. You know, you can't really show up late. The consequences, for example, if you miss a shift change, it's not just that, you know, you've lost a little bit of time. It's that you maybe lose critical information that's essential for patient care, you know. So you have to be there to be able to hand off not just the patient, but the information that you've learned from the last 8 or 12 hours. Uh, and that applies 24 hours, 7, 365. You mentioned patients. Brings up a good question. Is this challenge of transit and health care primarily layered on workers? Does it also affect people who are getting their health care? Right. It absolutely does affect both. I mean, our report really focused on uh, on the workforce and on the effects on the, their employers. Um, but certainly, you know, you've got patients that have to get to those very same locations. And, you know, we weren't just talking about hospitals. I mean, overall, we found that about a third of all of the major healthcare employers in the city are more than eight blocks from a subway. So you can imagine what that does for patients, especially folks that might have, you know, uh, mobility issues. Um, and that's not just hospitals, but that's also urgent care centers, which are all over the city and have, you know, sprung up in huge numbers. Long-term care facilities, you know, where folks are kind of uh, you know, neighborhoods when folks are aging. Uh, a lot of them are in neighborhoods on the, you know, southeastern, northeastern fringes of Queens or in Coney Island, uh, where there aren't a lot of good transit options. So for family members visiting, for not just for the workforce, for patients and for, for families, it's also a huge, a huge struggle. So in your report, what are some of the things you guys recommend the city and the MTA consider doing? Right. Well, first and foremost, you know, we have to make this other transit crisis a priority. You know, we absolutely agree that everybody, you know, knows the trains are in, in a pretty dire state. Um, you know, uh, one of the members of the MTA board um, just today sort of said, you know, that we haven't made a lot of progress on the subway rescue. Um, we need to do that first and foremost, but we need to make this other issue a priority as well. And that means fixing the gaps in the boroughs outside Manhattan, and in particular, improving service in ways that are actually kind of incremental and achievable, like fixing the bus system, which it doesn't just mean rethinking buses completely, although we need to do that as well and really think, uh, you know, look forward to a system that actually can meet the needs of, of, of tomorrow. But we have a lot of very specific things that we can do right now. Uh, you know, the MTA needs to be investing in some of the things that it started doing in a really small-scale way, like a bus plan for Staten Island, which uh, had a phase one complete last year. That's exciting. That's a big deal for New York. We've never done that before. But there's a phase two that they haven't gotten to yet. They need to make that a priority. That's actually looking at the local bus routes in Staten Island. And that would just be the tip of the iceberg. You know, we need to do that across the whole city. In Brooklyn, we should be doing that. In Sheepshead Bay and in Canarsie, you know, in Queens and southeastern Queens, we need that as well. In the Bronx, absolutely. You know, not only uh, the north-south routes where the trains go, but especially east to west. So there are a lot of areas where fixing the buses are actually going to be the, the probably the single most effective solution for so many of these um, these workers. The buses certainly sound like the low-hanging fruit would make sense. Um, ultimately, though, do you feel as though rail options will need to be part of this? There's obviously the discussion with the BQX streetcar. I don't know if that would provide any r relief for this for this right. issue. Uh, we didn't study the BQX specifically. Uh, I definitely think we, we know that we need to be looking at the next generation of transit in general. Um, you know, so that means everything from other rail options, certainly looking at ways to integrate the Long Island Railroad. Uh, right now, if you pay ten fifty to get from Jamaica to downtown Brooklyn, it's a route that a lot of healthcare workers might find helpful, but that's a price they can't afford. So there are some maybe some solutions there. But more than anything, I think we realize that we also need a dedicated stream of revenue for transit improvements, and really critically for just making service work better today. Um, so that would mean something like uh, the governor's you know fix NYC congestion pricing plan, with a with a caveat that that money would be directed. Directed to 
toward better service in the boroughs outside Manhattan. So there are a lot of ideas floating around about how to improve the transit system, how to pay for that, those improvements. Uh, and the bus system that you mentioned is one where the mayor and the city actually have some impact on it because they control the streets. So the question is, you report these ideas. Do you feel like you're getting to the people that are making decisions? Is Are the conversations beginning to start that you feel need to happen? I think so. I mean, we've seen an amazing outpouring of support around really this call to fix the buses in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we were out there on the steps of City Hall with uh, the chair of, uh, of the Transit Committee, uh, Idanis Rodriguez. Uh, we were there with Councilmember Mark Levine. We saw a lot of support for exactly these measures, and we're hearing it a little bit from the MTA. You know, our new transit chief for New York City Transit, Andy Byford, said something quite similar right before the report was released, actually, calling for at least exploring the idea of a bus action plan. So we're seeing, definitely seeing that momentum there. I think what remains to be seen is, you know, how willing we are to actually make these fixes happen quickly. Um, you know, DOT can do some of them when it comes to uh, dedicated bus lanes, when it comes to expanding SBS, when it comes to uh, issues, um, you know, like that. The city actually has a role to play. Now, at the same time, we've also heard loud and clear from the mayor, and he's correct. You know, the governor controls the MTA, and we need these fixes in Albany as well. So it, it's a tough nut to crack, but we are starting, I think, to see some real momentum for change, and it's, it couldn't come soon enough. That's good to hear. Eli Dvorkin from the Center for an Urban Future, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Not spending enough time on the subway platforms these days? Our next guest provides opportunities to visit the tracks, but without the weight or the emotional weight. He's the sole tour guide for NYC Subway Art Tour, and he's going to tell us about some of the gems that can be found underground. Welcome to the show, Daryl Riley. Thank you. Um, so when you think of subway stations, you don't often think of art. One may, who lives in the city may not think of art. You think of grime, you think of rats, you think of garbage. Um, you started an art tour, though. What, what inspired you to do that? Well, I work as a tour guide, and I take groups to the Statue of Liberty. And we take the subway from Times Square to Battery Park, and I would notice on the walls of the subway stations different pictures, but I didn't know why they were there. And so to pass the time, I would tell the people, oh, look out the window, we'll see the hats. At the next station, the toys. At Canal Street, we'll see the Chinese lettering on the... So then I learned, researched, oh, the arts and design was created in 1985 as a city program mm -hmm. to beautify the subway stations. Mm -hmm. So then I would explain to the people, oh, the hats are celebrities' hats from the 1880s to the 1920s, like mm -hmm. uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, Thomas Edison. And after a while, a few years, daydreaming, oh, why isn't there a tour where you get on and off the subway like you would go to the museum? Sure. And no one had thought that was a viable never, idea. It had never been done before. So you are kind of the New York City subway art expert. I am. You are. Okay, yeah. Great. And so how, how do you pick the stations that are in the tour? What, what qualifies a station? Who makes the cut? Uh, we have about two and a half hours. The tour leaves from the Midtown area. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to fill up as many stations as I could in that amount of time and get the people back to Times Square. But there were three really must-see stations, mm -hmm. so I built the route around those three. Which are? Uh, the hats on 23rd Street called Memories of 23rd Street. Uh -huh. And, of course, the bronze sculptures by Tom Otterness at 14th and 8th Avenue, uh -huh. Life Underground. And the other must-see is here in Brooklyn, 
at the DeKalb Avenue station. First, there's the big mosaic with uh, figurative and non-representative imagery of things in the area, like the Brooklyn Bridge. There's a mosaic of a bagel. Hmm. And then when we get in the train, to look out the windows as we leave DeKalb Avenue is to see the very first subway art from 1980 mm-hmm. by Bill Brand, Mass Transoscope. Mm-hmm. So you look out the window and it looks like a zoetrope, right. an animation. So that was the top three. And it's like a spaceship or something. It's this art it's thing a that becomes ship. a rocket yeah. ship that eventually takes off. You that watch most people on the train are not looking at. Cool. And you said that we were, before we got on camera, there was another spot in Brooklyn that you wanted to include on the tours, but it was a bit too far. Which one is that? Uh, Eastern Parkway by the Brooklyn Museum. Uh-huh. It's a series of uh, gargoyles, ornaments, decorations that were salvaged from buildings that were torn down mm-hmm. and mounted on the walls. Wow, cool. So we, we don't have much time left, mm. but just real quick before we have to wrap up, um, have you gotten a lot of good feedback? I mean, wh- how popular are the tours? Are people really attending them, and is, it, is the feedback really positive? Uh, all the reviews have been very good, uh, probably because it's such an uh, uh, off-the-wall idea that people have been to everything in New York, Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty. Oh, a subway tour. I never thought of that. Oh, cool. So the reaction has been very positive. And how can people find out more if they want to go on one? Well, the website is uh, nycsubwaytour.com. Okay, well, great. Daryl, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was uh, a pleasure. I appreciate having you here and telling us about your tours. Um, so thanks for joining us today. Tomorrow, mercifully, Ashley will be back, and she'll be talking with representatives of two outside the mainstream media outlets about their readerships and how they help connect them to the broader community. Plus, the York International Children's Film Festival going on now until March 18th. Hope you can join us. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Seaford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Hagasak, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leith, and Sasha Mathias. 